Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. Welcome back to the Branding for Abundance podcast. This is your host, Dr. TK, clinical psychologist and number one therapist business coach. In today's podcast episode, I want to talk about money and specifically on wealth and business mindset. And as you can see, it says part one, and that's because we have a few additional podcast episodes dedicated specifically to this topic. And then we have something huge dropping in the next few days or maybe a week based off the time that you hear this podcast in terms of more money and wealth gems, okay? So the reason I chose this topic is when I coach the therapists that are in the Dope Therapist Academy and Elite Coaching, and then also in my CE workshops, I have noticed that there has been two main underlining topics that seem to pretty much stunt or get in the way of someone's growth in their business. And one of them is mindset, which we did a few podcast episodes on that over the last two weeks. But then also it is about value um, that leads into therapists not being able to earn the amount of money that they want to earn. And I know that, you know, personally speaking, that was part of my story is that I was not able to grow and scale in my business because I was my biggest barrier. And first I had to work within and really figure out what is it about saying that I'm going to raise my rates that made me feel uncomfortable? What is it about saying out loud that I earn a certain amount of money that made me feel uncomfortable? And so, you know, of course, over the last six plus years, I've engaged in a lot of personal development coaching programs as it relates to money, mindset, manifestation, and then of course, strategies and tools to help me actually grow my business and scale my business. But at the end of the day, across all of the programs and coaching that I've received, the one common denominator is how do I see myself as successful? And then I'm going to say wealthy. And so This is a podcast episode that will have a workbook in the freebie library. If you are new to my podcast, welcome. We do have a freebie library. You can check out the show notes and it is very free and it has branding and marketing, you know, just some foundational workbooks to introduce you to that area in your business because of course that's not taught to us in graduate school as mental health providers, but also I have abundance checks in there so that you can really declare how much money you want to earn in your business. And then um, from time to time with certain podcast episodes, we are also dropping some workbooks in there so that you can reference the podcast and then actually do the journal prompts. So what I want to do is talk to you about your money story, okay? As I state some of the prompts, not all of them, I will back it up with some additional information as well as a personal narrative because I find that people may latch on or remember certain things that they hear on a podcast or in a training when there's a narrative behind it because most people can maybe resonate 
with some or part of the story that I typically share through my podcast and through trainings. So the first area that I want to talk about is really you sitting down and thinking about how did you learn about money and from who? Think about it. When we grow up, um, we're exposed to money in various ways. Some people are introduced to money because their parents make them count the money that goes into their piggy bank. Some parents don't require the kids to count the money. They just simply say, put the money in the piggy bank. Some parents go as far as taking their child's piggy bank to the actual bank, the institution, the, the, the physical space, and drop it into one of those coin machines. I know that my credit union has that and they actually have bonus like rewards for children where the kids actually get a little book for stickers to be placed in there every time they make a deposit. And I think that's pretty cool because you can expose children very early on in terms of the value of money, watching your money, paying attention to your money, and then also seeing your money grow because you are watching your money grow. You are actually being rewarded for it by getting like a sticker of a money piggy bank in their little card, their little um, wallet, but it's paper. And so think about it. Where did you first learn about money? And so think about parents, caregivers, school. Um, Nowadays, like TV, I know when I was growing up, a lot of children learned about money simply because of television and like BET, the jukebox, you know, back in the 90s where you would have to actually pay and call in to request a video. I'm really telling my age here, right? But nevertheless, we would see things on television or award shows or of famous people and you would say, wow, like I want that. Or maybe your family exposed you to going outside of your home, maybe visiting various cities, taking drives in wealthy areas to see like bigger homes, maybe to to vision or dream, you know, as you are driving or you take family vacations, because I know that's one of the things that I learned very early on is that I did not want to be confined just to one space because my grandparents did a very good job of putting me in the family van and we would literally drive from Compton, California all the way to like Kansas, all the way further to the East Coast, down to Arkansas, because we have family in various states. And so from time to time, my grandparents would get up and say, okay, we're taking, they would tell my mom, like, we're going to take her for two weeks. And of course, I am sure that, or I could assume that my mom thought that that was enjoyable because she was a single parent. So single parents or just parents need breaks. It is part of self-care. Also, I wanted to share that in terms of learning about money, I was on a chart. I had a chore chart. The way that my chore chart was structured when I was about seven years old and then moving up in age until I was in high school and I was able to get my own job at 16, I was rewarded for not the basic things like not cleaning my room because that was a given. But I was given chore money for doing the dishes every day. I'm an only child, so I don't have any room to share with anybody. So I receive money every single Saturday for doing, you know, household chores, also yard chores. Like I did not like the yard. I was also allergic to grass where I would break out into white hives. Nevertheless, I was able to put on some sweats, put on a sweater and literally just go water the grass. That was my mom's main thing. And then if I wanted extra stuff or extra money, I would actually ask her, can I do anything extra like wash the car? She would give me my money literally at like three or four o'clock on Saturday. And then it was a routine that my mom's younger brothers, um, because it's three boys and her, it's an older brother, her, and then two uncles under her. The first uncle under her, 
he actually would take me to the skating ring. Um, now it's gone. It's a off Fifth Sex Avenue, which is actually right in front of my old office um, located in Southern California. But nevertheless, we used to go to that skating ring every single Saturday. And then of course, as I got older, I went on like adult nights like Tuesday. Why I'm sharing this is because my mother put me on a contingency, a positive reward schedule. How I was also reinforced for good behavior is if I received a good report card, which I always did, I would get a certain dollar amount based off the type of letter grade that I had. For example, I may get $20 for an A, I may get $15 for a B, but then I only get $10 for a C. And then if I had a D or F, she would actually take away money. So technically, if a parent were to incorporate this with their children, I mean, I had a cousin that he was also my godbrother. My mom, um, during one semester of high school, she said, you actually owe me $40 because he was so used to us getting him things, but he didn't really understand that it was linked to academic behavior and also being eligible to play football because I became the sponsor for getting him a new pair of Nike shoes personalized on Nike.com every single beginning of the semester for the fall for his football year. And then in his 12th grade year, unfortunately, he didn't do that well, or maybe it was 11th grade and I didn't buy him the shoes because I said, no, you don't have the grades for it. You're not even eligible to play. And then my mom said, you owe me $40 because you had all D's and F's. And so you really want to ask yourself who first introduced you to money, how did they introduce you to money, and also how has that tapped into your money narrative? What is a money narrative? That is the way that you view or see money right now. So a money narrative for myself would be when my mom or my grandparents would ingrain in me, don't leave the lights on. Now, granted, I don't like to leave the lights on in my house. It's just a conditioned response but I don't yell at my children because they left the light on. I just simply tell them, hey, remember, turn off the light. But what I also don't do is attach not turning off the light with we can't afford to pay the rent, we can't afford to pay the bills. Now, that's not what my family said, but that's what they were insinuating and that's what they unintentionally taught me as I grew older because they would say things like, turn off the lights because the light bill will be high. And then, of course, after a while and you get older, a child will assume that, okay, if it's high, that means that because you're yelling at me, either you just don't want it to be high or it's going to be an issue with paying a bill. And I don't want us to not have any lights because you can't pay the bill. So now I've put together a narrative, a story that states that my family doesn't have any money to pay even a light bill. So how can they even pay all these other things? And then think about how far that goes. That will actually make a child, if they want something and they've earned it, it will prevent a child from not even asking a parent for something. And then I'm really going in right now as a therapist because I see this in my couples. Then people, as they get older, they get into relationships. And for myself, this is actually a very good example. In my previous relationship, my previous marriage, I had gotten divorced, but I had a habit of not asking for stuff. Or even if it was like material goods because I would buy him stuff or, you know, for his birthday and things like that. And so I had a habit of having a hard time accepting gifts from other people. And I think because I gave that aura off, that's exactly what I received is that people thought that I didn't like to receive stuff. That's just my narrative, right? So then after we got divorced, something very interesting happened. At the time I was dating, I was driving to the jail. <laughs> and one day, because I was going through that, uh, like the divorce was final and it was some money situations. And so I started like, you know, just seeing what was up, what else was 
out there, whatever. You know, I was talking to people from here and there or whatever. So nevertheless, I was driving back home and I did not have gas in my car. Some of you may have heard this story before because it, it is a pivotal moment in my history where I said, this will be the last time that I am ever in this situation again. That became my why. And so because I was long gas, I knew that I was long gas before I even drove out a hundred miles to the jail. As I was driving back, I didn't have enough gas to actually get to my destination, which was actually a hotel by Magic Mountain if you're in Southern California, because I was teaching for University of Phoenix. And what I would do on purpose is I would sign up to like substitute for a class or maybe even have a class in an area not near my home because they would actually put me up in a very nice hotel, pay for my dinner that night, pay for my breakfast, and then I will go about my way and go teach that next night or that night and then I will spend the night and go home. So I chose a location that was in the middle of the school and my job because I also signed up for overtime at my job from like, let's just say eight to five. And then I would go right up the street to teach from six to 10. And then I would drive home. Talk about milking the system. I was definitely in hustle mode back then, right? And that's a whole another money narrative that I've learned how to change because I don't believe that you need to be in hustle mode to make good money. You don't always need to be on the grind. You don't always need to fill in the gaps on a calendar so that you don't have any white space. Please hear me, especially if you're a therapist, because that leads to burnout. So nevertheless, the person that I was like talking to, they found out later that I had called my mom and I was so embarrassed because I did not want her to know that I have this job but that I, at that time, was financially struggling specifically because there were some financial things that came up in the divorce in which personal disclosure I had to pay out, if you get me. And so, you know, just because that person assumed things that were not true in terms of um, me having money stacked up or something. And so that person wanted me to give them a lump sum of money so they can leave me alone. And I'm definitely giving you a personal disclosure, but you know what? I'm not going to take this off the podcast. It is okay. And another reason why I'm not taking it off the podcast, because I thought about it as I was talking, is that there are a lot of therapists that go through stuff. And because we help other people with their stuff, we feel shameful to talk about our stuff. And the one reason that I feel okay with sharing it is because I've worked through it. I'm not in that season anymore. Okay. So to me, that's the difference. Nevertheless, um, I called my mom. I asked her for the money. She transferred it because we have like the same bank um, or one of the same banks. And so she transferred the money. And then later on, the person found out. So the person asked me like, hey, why didn't you just, you know, you still my people's like, why you just didn't ask me for like 60 bucks to fill up your gas tank? And I was like, well, you know, I could have just called my mom. And he got pissed. And he said, well, I don't understand why you couldn't call me. And I was like, I don't know. And that's when I had to actually sit in silence. And then I went back and I apologized. And I said, this is... My issue actually not yours. I'm just not used to not just asking anyone, but specifically asking people outside of my family, let alone a man. And ladies, I really want you to think about that. Unintentionally, what has your family taught you about who you can ask for help? Because as I mentioned a moment ago, you will get into relationships, you'll get into marriages, and you'll find yourself trying to figure everything out on your own when you married the person or got in a relationship with the person for them to help you, for them to collaborate with you, for, for them to come together with you. And then you guys communicate about what's going to be your next move. There should not be money secrets, especially in a committed relationship. Okay. So think about all the things, um, not necessarily my story, but maybe you can resonate with my story in terms of not the context, but more the learning lessons. Because what I learned is that 
I was taught unintentionally not to depend on anybody unless I can go back to my family. And that is not healthy, of course, when you get into a relationship. Another thing I want you to think about is in terms of wealth and how it leads to business mindset, because I'm going to bring that at the end, is what have you been taught about saving money? So this is one of the areas that my family actually spent more time on. And it was only my grandfather that would really talk about, and my mom, that would really talk about spending money in terms of my grandfather's philosophy was you don't pay interest to anyone. And he had good credit, but he also had a very good, to me, wealthy mindset considering the times that he you know, was in. He was born in 1939. He was able to save money, but he also believed in spending money. So like I remember he bought his Cadillac with white walls with gold like rims after he retired. And when I was talking to him about like him wanting to get one of his dream cars, you know, I was like, oh, how much does it cost? He was like 50,000. He said it like nothing. I'm like, oh man, that car note about to be high. And he was like, oh, we don't do car notes. <laughs> and I was like, you don't do car notes off of $50,000? I'm in grad school. I can't conceptualize paying for something for right now. And so he was like, we don't pay interest in this family. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then I started to recognize or pay more attention to how all of my family members at least got their first car. So like my mom and my other uncle, like his first car in college, at least the three of them, maybe not the oldest one, they all received at least their first, second, or third car by my grandfather saying that, no, I will pay it because you will not pay extra money to other people. Now, even though we know that cars can increase your credit score, he just believed that, you know, I could see if you bought a house, property, that would be different. So in terms of money mindset, they did teach us to own property and that that was a valued asset in our family. I mean, we have families um, that are not in California, but more so in Oregon that own multiple properties. They fix properties. That's what they do. They buy homes and now they're Airbnb in them out. So we have a good amount of family members that understand wealth. And I'm sure that that has changed in terms of mindset over time. But one of the things that I want you to think about is what did your family share with you or didn't share with you or extracted from you, like kept from you, and you had to fill in the holes in terms of saving money? Maybe your family, similar to mine, was like so focused on saving money that they didn't really talk about how do you spend money? How do you shop for a car, which my grandfather helped me with that. You know, how do you shop for a home? I have my grandparents actually helped me with that. You know, but when it comes down to my children, I have to make sure that I am knowledgeable about that because I can't teach somebody what I don't know. So what I also realized when my grandfather passed away was that I became, and I shared this with my coaching clients in the last two or three months, that I became frustrated with my grandfather because I felt like he showed me so much, but he didn't really sit me down and talk to me about how to save money. So the things that I do with my children now were primarily because of what I was taught in the financial industry. And I talked about that in the last you know, a few podcast episodes. And so one of the things that I've done with my children is like my, my baby, he has like an ATM um, little bank machine that we put a battery in and it sucks in the dollars and he could put the coins on the top. And they have it where you can order them where they will actually count the money. And we put all of his money in there. And then what I do, because my mom also has a bank account in a credit union, is that just to build up his account over there, I actually give her 
like the cash that I get, either he's getting it from other people, like his other grandparents, but we will put all the money in the little bank. And then from time to time, I'll just put it in an envelope and I'll take it over to my mom. So for example, what was it? Two weeks ago, we took her like $600 and like out of the $600, I believe, you know, four, four of the bills were like all $100 bills just because of him receiving money, whether it was from me receiving a lump sum of money. And then for me, when I receive bonus checks, I always kind of like an abundance fund for 10%. I give my son money, but I don't give it to him. I don't go and buy pull-ups. I don't go and buy, you know, underwear for like training for potty training. I don't go and buy, you know, some new Nike tennis shoes unless he needs shoes to play in because his feet is forever growing. I take care of the necessities, but I also make sure to save his money because I want to make sure that I teach him better even than what I was taught. With my eldest son, he learned this very early on at six, where he knows he has to give me 10% of his money to put up. I may just put it up in an envelope somewhere. He can keep the rest. So every birthday money lump sum he gets, we take 10% and we put it up in his bank. And they will thank me later. And now, I mean, he doesn't even not like it because he doesn't like spending his own money, but that's most kids, right? So what you want to think about is how were you taught about saving money? So there are a lot of prompts that I'm going to give you in the freebie library, but I just wanted to give you an overview of something to think about because as this relates to business mindset is that when, you know, it comes down to pricing your products or services, it really boils down to how do you value yourself What do you think that you're worth? To me, any mental health provider in which you have a master's degree or higher, you are automatically worth $500 an hour. Now, we know we don't charge $500 an hour for individual therapy, but that does not minimize your worth, okay? So I want you to start walking around and telling yourself that you are worth whatever that amount is, but it has to be $500 or more. And so that way, when you're looking at the value that you're giving other people, that's why I personally always over deliver in things that I give. I mean, look at this podcast episode. You're getting a freebie library plus a workbook. Podcasts don't do that. They just give you the information and hopefully you take notes, you build a connection with me over time, and then you just tune into the next episode. But I want to go further because I also believe that information that you consume and then apply, you will actually be able to implement it during the long run versus how in college you hear information, you walk out the class, you didn't forgot about 85% of what the teacher taught you because research states that within a semester, you only retain 15% of the information you learned. Hence, this is why I am starting to give workbooks with certain topics, okay? So I hope that you enjoyed this like introduction to money narrative and how we're going to start tapping into your business mindset as it relates to money and wealth, because I do firmly believe for anyone that you are the biggest block to accomplishing your next level of abundance. We can sit here all day long and blame our family, our upbringing, um, what we didn't get. But as of 18, you are a legal adult, even if you are still in high school or still living with your parents or maybe maturity wise, because our brain doesn't stop developing until we're 25. You just did not want to accept the fact that you were an adult. But the bottom line is in terms of accountability, you should be learning accountability throughout your whole life. But especially at 18, we got to pass the buck. We have to pass the baton to you. You can decide that you no longer want to continue that cycle of thinking in what what I call a poverty mindset. Because a poverty mindset for therapists in the academy is, 
Well, my clients all live in this particular area. So I'm going to assume that they can't afford my 150. So even before they're able to tell me no, I'm going to self-sabotage myself. Now they don't say this, but I say this to them in a coaching session. They end up self-sabotaging themselves and they will say something like, you know, I have a sliding scale if financially it's a hardship. Cause I know that you said that in your intake, just because they said they're going through a financial hardship, that doesn't mean that they cannot afford your services. Please don't count people's dollars. Don't count people's pockets. And we go in deep with that in the Dope Therapist Academy. And then we also cover it in our first lesson, actually, for the year in our 10-month Elite Coaching Mastermind. So if you want to learn more about the Dope Therapist Academy to build a profitable practice, whether you are new to private practice and or as an existing private practice owner, you need to lift up the hood because you do want to take your business to the next level. Maybe you want to have your ideal schedule. Maybe you want your time back to spend with your family. Maybe you want to learn how to work from anywhere and everywhere. Maybe you want to learn the foundational methods of utilizing your expertise as a therapist in your practice to then go earn other streams of income. We do cover that in the fourth phase, the fourth framework in the academy so that you can position yourself to be wealthy because then what you will do is check out, for example, the elite coaching. The elite coaching is for therapists who have grown their business. They are making at minimum 10K months on a continuous basis already, okay? And then they're ready to take it up. And scaling is simply put, you are earning more while working less. You are not just to add things to your plate, but instead we talk about delegating tasks, hiring help so that you can focus on delivery of services because most therapists are the personal brand to their business. But outside of that, you're setting the tone to train people on your team so that you can actually scale your time back, but scale your money up. Okay. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you know of any other therapists in which they definitely need to hear this, even if they have just graduated, you know, I don't discriminate with who hears my podcast, but in terms of programs, those are only for mental health providers. Um, let me know your biggest takeaway, snapshot a picture of this podcast episode, tag me in your stories. I would really love to connect with you. Remember to check out that freebie library. It is completely free. Over time, we are adding more things to it. And we also upload all the newsletters that we email out every Saturday to highlight all of the wins because we also want you to see what's possible for you, whether it's in your private practice or other streams of income as it relates to mental health. So I will see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle. 